Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world who's going to have to pitch out of the bullpen for the USA in the WBC. Actually, it might not just be us. I think I heard that there are a number of other uh, MLB shows that are in the designated pitcher pool. Oh, yeah, that's that's good. The The designated pitcher pool is, is how you get through this tournament, even if that means designated podcaster pitcher pool. Uh, that is us. We may have to step up and serve our country for a bullpen in need, as we saw on Sunday night against Team Mexico. We are going to talk all things WBC in the first half of this show. We will hit some spring training uh, fun news and not-so-fun news and notes in the second half. But because we just watched, what, like 20 WBC games since we last talked on Thursday, uh, we are going to once again lead with the classic and I am so excited to talk about all of these uh, pools. But we will begin in the desert last night, where Team USA, one of the greatest lineups ever assembled, could not handle Patrick Sandoval and Javier Assad. Respect to them. They are good young Major League pitchers. But when you are dubbed the most loaded lineup in international baseball history, you would hope to manage more than the five runs that they did. Jake, Team USA has lost a game. Where shall we begin with this discourse? Welcome to First Take WBC, baby, because I am pressing the panic button. No, but for real, I, I before I go in on last night and make some real critiques about this team and USA Baseball, I do want to just say as a reminder, any single baseball game is not an, an ultimatum or, you know, I, there's a word I'm thinking of and I can't get it in the top of my head is not indicative of everything. Are you, right? A referendum, not a referendum. Thank you, Jordan. Yes. No, you got there. You, you got there. <laughs> That's 10 years of working together. No single baseball game is a referendum on anything, right? It is a random thing we have seen throughout this tournament and throughout watching MLB in any given day, right? The Royals can beat the Astros, okay? And that is true in this type of tournament as well where those gaps are actually probably bigger for some instances and smaller for others. So that's just important to say. Like, the U.S. could and probably should still win this thing. Yeah, I was going to say, right? Everything that we're about to say over the next 10 minutes, you can caveat it with they might still just win the rest of their games because, again, the roster is still ridiculous. Even the pitching relative to most teams, sure, it's underwhelming. We're going to get to that, right? But, yes, that it's important, important to say but because we now have this piece of evidence and the kind of game that we watched and the kind of words being spoken by manager Mark DeRosa out of it gave us enough to react to like we can react to it like it's an NFL game where every game is like the end of the world. So <laughs> let's 
let's begin uh, as we look at this at this box score, a game where Joey Manessis single-handedly uh, smacked our entire nation around. Uh, 11 to five uh, final score. Team Mexico, three runs. I mean, they didn't, you know, it was only one run in the first six innings for this uh, Team USA lineup. They tacked on some late, but it was far too late. And Mexico emerges victorious one day after losing an extra innings to Colombia, which again is another reminder of the goofiness of this tournament. But Jake, where would you like to begin with how do how do we process this loss for our country? It is a hit to the ego. Okay. Mm-hmm. I will say what I'm about to say makes everything easier to understand. Okay. It is very simple. America as a baseball country cares less about this. We care less. Not Jake and Jordan. I mean, we care more probably than most Americans. But as a baseballing community in America, we care less. Part of that has to do with the superiority complex, right? We invented the game. We get to host Major League Baseball. We're this enormous nation of over 300 million people. Uh, Nine of them have to be able to hit, right? You know, and there is a part of that at play. But when you understand that America cares less as a baseball community, it makes everything else make sense. It is part of why none of the best 20 American pitchers are not here. Very quickly, Jordan. Alec Manoa, Chris Sale, Dylan Cease, Shane Bieber, Tristan McKenzie, Garrett Cole, Carlos Rodon, Shane McClanahan, Jacob deGrom, Zach Gallen, Spencer Strider, Max Fried, Kyle Wright, Clayton Kershaw, Zach Corbin Wheeler. Burns, Zach Max Wheeler Scherzer. <laughs> what? Zach Wheeler. Oh, maybe you're getting to him. I I'm I have a list in front of me, Jordan. I'm reading names. I'm not done with the freaking I can't tell list the order. of names. I can't tell the order that you're getting that you're reading it in. Go the ahead. order was alphabetical AL, alphabetical NL, as it is on the Fangraphs roster resource. Let me finish my freaking list. I'm mad this morning. Don't make me more mad. Freed, Wright, Kershaw, Corbin Burns, Max Scherzer, Verlander, Nola, Wheeler, you asshole. Snell, Logan Webb, Joe Musgrove, okay? That is a lot of pitching talent. And none of those pitchers are on the USA roster for the WBC. Now, some of them tried. Kershaw tried, and Logan Webb was on it at some point, whatever. But there are all these factors at play that are pulling these pitchers off the roster, right? There is an excuse to for every single Major League Baseball player to not play. There's a great reason to not do the WBC, financial, injury, whatever. If you want to find a reason to not do it, it is very easy to find a reason to not do it, okay? I get that. But that's the problem is that people don't care enough, whether it's the insurance people or the MLB teams, right? There is not the same incentive. And when you take a look at all the other competitive teams, the Dominican Republic has Sandy Alcantara. Venezuela has Martin Perez, Pablo Lopez, Luis Garcia, and had Ranger Suarez until he got hurt last week. Mexico has Julio Urias. Puerto Rico has the Diaz brothers, who are the two best pitchers in their country. Even fucking Canada has Cal Quantrill, who might be the best pitcher on the USA team, the best starter on the USA team. Well, he just got rocked by Britain, but yes, true. (laughs) I understand, but like the best American pitchers do not play, and they all have a good reason to not play. But the fact that not that none of them are playing 
is indicative of something in American baseball culture when you sure. compare it to some of the other teams. Sure. I agree with that. Uh, that Otani and Darvish guys, they're pretty good. They're, they're oh, I had that on my list. I forgot. Uh, <laughs> they're worth mentioning. Um, yeah, no, obviously all that is very true. However, I don't... Now we can get into the specific game and the reaction out of it and and DeRosa referring to in the post game about how, oh, well, we have to honor these parent club promises that we made where it's like, yes, you can... They can you can have Brady Singer and you can have Nick Martinez. You can have these guys, but they can only pitch under these certain circumstances. Can I read That's the quote? fine. Yeah, can I read ahead. the quote, actually? Yeah, um, read the quote. So I think he was asked about leaving in Singer. Mm-hmm. Okay, he said. And not sending Graven back out. like, And not sending yeah, Graven back out, right? Like I said, there's a lot of honoring some parent club wishes to try and get these guys ready for the regular season. Opening day. And li- you're limited in the number of arms you have down in the bullpen. You have to push some guys. But but here's a lot of these guys. Sorry, I want to continue. Quote, a lot of these guys are restricted from cleaning up a dirty inning or going back out for a second inning. We're trying to get them through that inning, trying to get Devin Williams to the eighth and be able to save Presley. Go ahead, Drew. Okay, but that's all true. However, here's the other thing about this roster. Okay, yeah, we're missing all these great pitchers. You, it's still America. There's still 5 billion good relievers that you can have instead of a bench where you are just forced to, to bench hitters that are worthy of playing all the time. Like, we don't need a lineup that has four of the best hit American hitters on the bench because they can't play. Just have more pitchers that you can bring in for real relief situations like they had last night. That's the thing that I don't understand. Like, if you're really trying to win this thing, don't just load it to the point, and you can apply this to the coaching staff, right? Like, we're just trying to get as many big names. Like, why? <laughs> like, who is that for? I mean, is that for the big leaguers who are more likely to want to participate if they get to say that Ken Griffey Jr. is their hitting coach? Maybe, right? Maybe that's what, maybe that is part of it as a, as a recruitment thing. I think these are similar, but I, I want to talk about them separately. Okay. I want to talk about just the pitching things first. Mm-hmm. I understand that DeRosa is in a tough spot. The manager, Mark DeRosa, like he has to try and honor these parent club wishes. I get that. That does not seem to be an excuse that other teams have been using when they lose, whether it's the Dominican, right? I'm sure that Puerto Rico has some restrictions with some of their arms. Like, Either and that goes back to the larger American baseball apparatus being too tight ass about this entire thing and worried about how it's going to ruin the season. Like if you take Brady Singer out in the middle of that inning and you throw him down in the bullpen and you haven't finished his bullpen, who cares? Like you're not you are not treating this with the same level of intensity and frankly respect as the event deserves and as the other teams are treating it. Do you think that like there's a scenario where like the Venezuela manager would leave in a pitcher in that kind of spot because he wants to get his work in? Yeah. That's yeah. not what this is. This is not surprise. You are not on a backfield. Okay. And this that's the thing is like you can't have it both ways. Like it's cool to build this roster because you can kind of sleepwalk your way into building this lineup that looks so ridiculous, right? Um, but as we saw when we were making jokes about them losing to the Giants and Anthony DiSclefani and Sean Manaya is like, yeah, you can also very easily lose to Patrick Sandoval and Javier Assad because it's baseball. And the difference between now, yes, you can sleepwalk your way to a win against Great Britain, but it's not like they crushed them the way Team Canada did. Right. And when you look at these hitters 
and you you wonder, okay, well, why isn't this Mookie Betts, Mike Trout pairing? It's like again, it's two games. We, it's not like these guys are suddenly bad, but the point is, is that in these in these small in these small tournaments, when you talk about caring more, caring less, think about the other recent examples of Team USA in international baseball, the Premier Twelve and the Olympics, and you look at those teams, and those guys were prospects or like washed up dudes who are trying to hang on. Those guys really fucking care. And when you see these other teams and you see, and this applies to the college national team, which even if they have, you know, a, 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 an advantage talent wise over some of the international competition to do it earlier on or to do it for the first time, like those are the players like the Bobby Witts of the world. I'm sure Bobby cares. are way more excited about this than any of the other ones, no matter what they're saying, no matter what they're saying, because they, they cannot get themselves to the level that these other teams are clearly right. able to do. Now, now again, they, they won last time pretty easily. You know, a um, couple losses along the way, but like, and they still could win this time. I uh, want to be the spirit of it is also just like so different than right. everything that we've watched so far. And you can tell by the crowd, right? The crowd for the Phoenix in Phoenix for the Great Britain USA game was weak, fucking weak sauce, mm-hmm. you know, compared to Taiwan is a different universe, right? It's an incredible situation over there in Japan and um, even in Miami with like the Latin Bowl and, and Team Israel. Like those crowds have been incredible, and Great Britain, U- USA was was soft, right? Yeah. It was really underwhelming. And, and then now the Mexico I'm game, curious for Team Canada tonight, USA Canada yes. tonight will be a much better test of like what kind of environment can we actually right. create as North American baseball fans, right? And then it's you know Mexico, US was a heavily Mexican crowd because mm-hmm. they care more, right? And that's in my opinion like. Part of the reason America cares less about this is because we have Major League Baseball all year. If we want to watch high-level baseball as Americans, it's on our time zone. It's easily accessible relatively. I mean, make all the blackout references you want. Like, it is easier to watch a game for us than for a lot of other countries. And it's easier to go to a game. And it feels more omnipresent. For a lot of these other countries, that's why Winter Ball is such a big deal because it's the baseball they have, mm-hmm. Right. And that is the same thing that we're seeing for this tournament. One last note, Jordan, I want to talk about DeRosa specifically. Okay. Mark DeRosa, I like Mark DeRosa. We have been on television before with Mark DeRosa many times. John Smoltz, who's on the broadcast, has been on television with Mark DeRosa many times. A lot of the people on MLB Network, no one on MLB Network this morning is going to wake up and crush Mark DeRosa. Okay, that's just not going to happen. And that's part of the deal here. I think that Mark DeRosa could be a very good big league manager if he wanted to do that. He has been in the running before for these gigs, right? I do not think that this is the environment to find that out. And that goes back to the caring more. No other country, I guess Puerto Rico is different because they allowed Yachty to be their manager. Very few other countries would just give this job to someone who has never been in a major league dugout. I understand that DeRosa, there was an article in The Athletic about how he was practicing and like managed 60 games in his living room. It's not the same, right? To have this be his first managerial experience, especially when you compare that with last cycle when it was literally Jim Leland managing Team USA, that matters. 
And especially in a tournament situation where so much of the value of being a manager is pulling the right levers and strings to bring guys in and the in-game strategy aspect that he has never had to do in real time. I like Mark DeRosa. I think he's will be good at this one day if he wants to be. I think it is crazy that this is where they've chosen to find out and that his staff is also incredibly underqualified relatively. I, I understand like Jerry Manuel is really good and has managed, he's been a big league manager. Same thing with uh, Dino Evel and Dave Vergetti. But like the rest of the staff, like what is Brian McCann doing there? That guy is a vibe zombie. Okay. Why are we bringing <laughs> I mean, in yeah. the biggest buzzkill in baseball history? Maybe that's unfair, but like that's the reputation on right. the public side. He, 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 yes. Like Brian McCann does not like fun. That is the vibe that we hear about Brian McCann. And we're bringing him into this tournament in which these other teams, like, what are we doing here? Right. No, the, right? The, and the, the Andy level Pettit, of- with all due respect to Andy Pettit, like, and Ken Griffey, they're, they're two of the greatest players in the last 30 years. They don't, doesn't mean they're good coaches or communicators. They don't coach. They're here to just chill. And I find it, it's just, it's not the point of this tournament. It's not how other countries approach the tournament. And then we show up and we play Mexico and we got waxed and it's like, what happened? I thought we had all the good players. <laughs> right. But that's the thing is it's like it's when when the talent gap is not that big, you can't just show up and say, look at my roster. It's not going to work. It's like, I mean, it, again, as we said, it might they could still win the rest of this pool and then go in the same. But because when your team is that good and you have that much of an advantage, sure. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And it's just like, it's when, when you think about, well, what, what do you need for this? Also, Mark DeRosa admitted himself. Like if you're going to refer, forget whether it's an excuse or not, but if you are also going to, the first thing you're going to say is like, oh, well, you know, we're honoring these things. So then, you know, it's not real managing. And it's, it's the fact that you are thinking about that first, clearly on top of the fact that you also have to be thinking about how are we going to get through the next few games because of those rules, because of the pitch count rules, because of all the tiebreaker stuff and which game you prioritize over other. Like, this is not normal managing at all. It's not. And I know, so if this was the idea, yeah. Go get Dan Straley from Korea, okay? Yeah. And just have him throw his 65 pitches. Yeah, like that, that's that, that that was what I said before. Like, just have more pitchers on the roster. You there are still a million more good American relievers that we did not mention. And that's the other thing. You can make fun of Dick Martinez and oh, you know, and these guys. Like, these are still you right. know ninety fifth percentile pitchers in this tournament, right? Obviously, it's not as good as it could be for for what it is. But when you compare it to the other teams, including the team you just played and including the teams you're going to play over the next few days. You should still have plenty of pitching enough to win the tournament as they showed in 2017. That is true, right? And those 2017 guys like Danny Duffy cared, right? Yeah. And Stroman at that point cared. But when you look at that list of pitchers that I just read out, right? Like that is an overwhelming amount of talent that is just not here and is not here for a lot of reasons. So I'm just going to leave everyone with this. If you're watching Team USA, if they like there's a decent chance they could just lose to Canada or Colombia, right? And that's it. That, that could totally happen. And if you have a question, if you're watching a game or one of your friends says, what's the deal here? The answer that explains it all is that the American baseball apparatus, American baseball culture, the American baseball community cares less as a whole than the other countries. That is why none of the best 20 or 30 American pitchers are here. That is why the crowd in Phoenix is weak sauce. That is why they hired a guy with zero games ever in the dugout to be the manager. That explains a lot of your questions.
also, as we now transition to the other pools where everybody cares a whole lot, uh, you know, it's especially from a fan perspective, what is uh, what is the most fun that Americans have cheering for their country right now? I feel like national team wise is the soccer team. <laughs> Because they're not the favorite. They're not even close to the favorite. And it's way, way, way more fun to probably play for and root for the team that has a chance but is not expected to go undefeated. That's the other thing from a pressure standpoint is that if you combine not caring with a shit ton of pressure or expectations to win every game because you have a team that has Trout, Betts, Arnado, Goldsman, blah, 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 it's a recipe for, oh, shit, okay, what, what's going on here? Like, we did not show up in the way that these other teams feel that. Which American national team did they make a movie about? The nineteen eighty hockey team, the one that wasn't supposed to win. Okay, like this is <laughs> right. part of American culture where yeah. we think of ourselves as the underdog. Like we want to be the underdog because we were the freaking underdog in seventeen seventy six. But like we're not. We're the overdog now, right? We're the bad guys. That's just how this works in international competition. Yeah, and like that creates a very awkward, bizarre set of circumstances. That honestly, here is what I think. I think Yankees fans should fill in all the USA baseball fans and be like, this is how you do it. This is how you be the favorite. This is how you be the bad right, guy. Exactly. This is how be you like, lean in. We're the shit. We have more money than you and more baseball players that are better than you. Why are you not winning? Now, again, that's an interesting comparison for a few reasons. But, hey, point is, uh, I think uh, I agree with you. That's that's a great, <laughs> that's a great take. Let's get those Yankees fans for those last two pool games. <laughs> Uh, thank you for listening to the morning sports talk radio segment with Jake and Jordan, where we whine about one single baseball game. Wow, I feel 48 already. Absolutely love it. We will be right back after the break with some more joy and less scorn as we go through the rest of the non-USA WBC. Negro Leagues Baseball Museum President Bob Kendrick hosts the SiriusXM original podcast, Black Diamonds. The Negro Leagues didn't care what color you were, and they didn't care what gender you were. Can you play? Hear stories of the leagues and legends that shaped sport, culture, and society. That's why the museum is so important. It's like, we are never going to forget you. Episodes of the award-winning Black Diamonds are now available wherever you get your podcasts. We're not talking about balls and strikes. We're talking about your life. And we're back here on Baseball Barbacast, Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. You know, we don't want to be too America-centric, so we're only going to spend the first 20 minutes of this show talking about USA Baseball. Let's cram in all the other nations into the next 20 minutes. Jordan, where in the frickin' world would you like to begin? I think we just start with Pool A and run it. Yeah, let's, let's go to, uh, to Pool A and B, which are already wrapped up. Um, Pool A, when we previewed Pool A, in Taiwan, we said this is sneakily maybe the most fun because it is the most balanced. Well, Jake, we could not have been more correct <laughs> because not only was this a very, very fun pool to watch because of the teams that were playing in it and just the variety of personalities that we got to watch in this all the way from Ioannis Cespedes and Alfredo Despagne to Vinny Pasquantino to Xander Bogarts to Lee Lin and Yu Chang and Panama, who we maybe didn't watch that much of, uh, all five teams finished two and two. And that's exactly what, not that we expected that, but that we ended up with a five-way tie 
and Cuba, the team that started 0-2 and looked toast as the winner of the pool, was a perfect encapsulation of this chaos in Taichung. Italy, the story of this pool for me, the fact that they were able to sneak out, I think the combination of the mustaches and the bada bing hand motion and the coffee machine, or the, or the Nespresso machine in the bullpen, they really um, created a vibe, that team. That was very different and very unique and very, very rootable. They now head to Japan to take on Otani, which I'm sure will be a walk in the park. I think I admit that I did not watch a single inning of Panama the entire time. If you ask me how is the WBC, I said, oh, the WBC, you mean the competition between the best 19 nations in the world and Panama? No shade to Panama. The time, I just You got to get your sleep in, baby. <laughs> but, no, I agree. But they also, I mean, they shut out Italy. <laughs> I mean, like. Like, there are just so many weird results in this pool. The other thing we have to mention, because we will get to continue to talk about Italy, so we'll move them aside. Um, Chinese Taipei, Taiwan, obviously, was amazing to watch. Yu Chang, I, I mean, to have two of the biggest homers you've ever hit. By the way, this we did not talk about this beforehand, because I think we've missed some of the context. For those of you who, who are not familiar with the general background here, uh, Yu Chang de- decided he wasn't going to play um, in the tournament because... He had this agreement with the government related to his professional baseball career that had him exempted uh, from military service um, if he would also play for the international team. It, it was it was it was kind of messy. But even as recently as two months ago, he was not going to play. And basically, the entire nation was like, this is insane. You have to absolutely play. The government got involved, was like, dude, you are going to play. And he was like, OK, fine, I'll play. And then he has these moments. Uh, it was amazing. He is a very fun personality. I didn't realize how much like Cleveland fans love this guy. Like he really made an impression on that organization. Um, we got Gilligalau hitting huge home runs too. I mean, it was, I know they finished last because they gave up a ton of runs, uh, but those crowds were unbelievable. And I will never forget watching watching those, those crowds. And now they're going to have to qualify again because they finished last and I, I hope they do. They should put Pool C in Taiwan next time. <laughs> Send the U.S. on the road to Taiwan. Make them play in that type of environment. Totally. I mean, and what I loved about it was, you know, friend of the show, Vinny Pasquantino in Italy, who played winter ball, right, in the Dominican. And we've talked a lot with him about that environment and playing in that environment and adjusting to that type of noise. This was totally different, right? It was louder, I like, oh, yeah. comparably it was, loud. And literally constant. It was yes. no, there was not a point where it was quiet, whether they were up by 10 or down by 10. It was so remarkable. And yes, you see, like I they definitely have similar kinds of chants and cheers in, in Japan and, and, and the KBO. This was to a degree that I cannot feel like I don't feel like I've ever seen before. Uh, it was so impressive and, and so fun to watch. And it translated on TV too. Uh, which shout out to Tyler Mon and Ryan Roland Smith. They yeah. rushed this whole pool. Tyler Mon is awesome. I hope he does more games, whether it's international or, or elsewhere. He's he was fantastic and obviously love Ryan. So can you yeah. imagine being like a Taiwanese baseball fan, like you, you ride and die for your brothers, uh, for your monkeys, you know, for your guardians. And you, you save up enough money to go watch an MLB game in America. And you, you know, you fly over to Anaheim to see Otani and it's like a Tuesday night angels Royals. And there's like eight people there and no one's talking. That must be like the biggest cultural letdown of all time, be like, I mean, man, I, I hope we're so loud. I, 
I, I would imagine they are uh, more informed enough to know. What well, to I, expect, yes, yes, but yes. But it's so true. Yes. But it's so true. Even even if you knew it going into it, and you're, if that's what you're used to, it's gonna be completely just unsettling. Um, yeah. So I will miss watching those games, but I'm so glad they were hosting, and I had so much fun. Why it really set the tone for the whole tournament in a way that be, it made the Chasefield crowd look so much worse. Once we correct. Got there. Uh, quickly on Cuba, Alfredo Despagne incredible this guy is the chonks chonk he has like the best hand-eye coordination i've ever seen he is he is i mean listen he 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 might not look the part but he's been raking in international baseball for 15 years he missed the first game due to injury um they lose to the netherlands and it was like oh man they, they need to spawn you back i was like okay whatever how how big of it? it's like, oh no as soon as he was back in the lineup it was like oh yeah no this dude <laughs> this dude is an absolute game changer obviously robert and mancata really showed up in those later games which was which was cool to see and 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 the pitching was like kind of sweet and that's why they ended up in first place was because they only allowed um they only allowed 15 runs over over these four games and and that's why they finished first because these guys are very experienced pitching in this type of international environment where it's about strike throwing. It's about missing barrels, right? Those two things are so important and the Cuban pitchers are good at that. Now you said Jordan, uh, Robert and Moncada really showed up in the last couple games. Someone who literally did not show up uh, uh, is Yoannis Cespedes, who's, who did it again, everybody. He yeah. went home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they announced uh, the the Cuban Baseball Federation said yes he has returned back to the states to attend to a personal matter. Um, obviously, we hope everything's okay. At the same time, he has departed for many reasons before. So apparently, he will rejoin the team if they beat Australia. We're going to get to them in a second and move on to Miami to the semifinals, where he you know obviously lives near, um, which is funny. But yeah, he got he he straight got benched, right? His defense was not good in the outfield. They're not going to play Despagne in 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 the field, and so they weren't going to DH him. Uh, it sucked. It was disappointing, but also it was just another chapter in the bizarre uh, uh, story of our hero. Because there is like you know, he says he's got a personal situation to deal with. That personal situation could be dire and serious, and we're not trying to downplay it. But it could also be like the personal situation could be like I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> That might just I be don't the want to situation. go to Tokyo if I am going to be on the bench. Like, Correct. Yeah, that is a personal situation. That's true. When you really think about it. Um, so uh, hopefully this is not the last we've seen of him. And one thing to keep an eye on, if Cuba beats Australia, they will then go to the semis in Miami. Mm-hmm. Cuba has never played in Miami. They have never played in Miami for the WBC. I know they certainly have in WBC. That's really hard to believe, but also makes sense. Um, I know they play more international matches than we realize in terms of exhibitions in the U.S., whether it's in North Carolina, whether it's in, in all over the country. Um, so I, I I have a really hard time believing that that's true. But also, if it is, well, they've never done it why. in the WBC. That's yeah, definitely for sure. not the WBC. Yeah, and that that is possible to create a very 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 unique environment. But we're just jumping ahead. Wow, wow, we're going to play Australia. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on to Pool B. Pool B is very simple. Japan kicked the shit out of everybody as they should have and as they uh, were more than capable of doing. This was basically exactly how I expected this to go. And it was nice when sometimes the team that is better than everybody else does exactly what they're supposed to. Credit to the Czech Republic, credit to China for fighting for those first few innings. But ultimately, Team Japan 
absolutely whooped this pool, the weakest pool in the tournament, and it was not particularly close. Um, for for reference, uh, in 36 innings, they had a 1-5 ERA. They struck out 54 opposing batters, only walked four. They hit 326, 486, 515 as a team. Um, and they, yeah, I mean, they they just completely steamrolled everybody, as they should, as they should. And now they get to play the quarterfinal against Italy at home in the Tokyo Dome, which will be amazing. Japan was amazing. Otani was amazing. He homered in the last game of pool play. It was it, everything delivered in every possible sense. Uh, all the videos of Otani doing these things have like more views on all these social accounts than like any <laughs> other highlight of the MLB regular season or postseason of the past however many years. If you want to we be are reminded, finally understanding the uh, the, the the gravity <laughs> of Shohei Otani playing for Japan. If you want to understand the who cares more. There you go. Yeah, not complicated. So that was cool. And then Australia, who had a little bit of trouble with the Czech Republic uh, late last night, was able to sweep by with their third win. And Chris Tyler, our Aussie producer, has returned after missing our episode last week. He is now here. I am wearing my Team Australia hat, but Chris wears his Team Australia face every day. (laughs) And hot. (laughs) Chris. Chris, how are you feeling? I know you stayed up for this for this uh, yeah. quarterfinal clinching game. What a what a freaking thing, man! It's pretty sweet. I'm feeling great. Obviously, this is the first time that Australia has made it through to the quarterfinals in their history of the World Baseball Classic. So, being able to do that to do that right there is is great. Anytime a national team breaks a drought that has been as long as this drought has been, it's always going to be great. Now, unfortunately, I don't think uh, the wind's going to make quite as many waves back home as like the Socceroos making it through. Oh, I was going to say, I was going to ask about that. The the people aren't taking to the streets because of the hitter ruse? No, what? <laughs> so my, my dad's sort of like the boots on the ground for me back in Australia. So I, I sort of, I asked him the other day about it and he's like, I didn't really know it was on. And my dad's a big sports fan. He listens to sports radio all day, every day. He said that I think one one person rang up and, and spoke about it. But other than that, I uh, I don't think many people in Australia know what know, know that's even going on at the moment. So that's a bit unfortunate. But even so, phenomenally uh, phenomenal you know uh, result for us. It's it's always fun to see a national team do what uh, do what the team of Australia if, did last if night. If they beat Cuba, which I think they could, will not be easy. I hope that it makes a few more waves. Also, like. Well, now, I'm, I'm, now that they're out of group yeah. stage, maybe yes. they, maybe this is sort of the and there's step now, that... there's now a couple days now that they can exactly. actually hype it up. It's not like now again they don't have a time zone issue, so no excuse there. Yeah. But you know, I I do think that that could probably help to maybe be like, holy shit, wait, they're they made I it out for right. the first time, the, right? The, this the is, Australia's that, been in every WBC, right? And exactly. Now and now the time. fact that we know that we have a a team that is performing at a decent level that we're not going to go through the tournament and only win maybe one game, which is sort of what I was expecting. I had the over-under at like half a game. I thought maybe we'd squeak by one and that's about it. So knowing that this team is capable of, of pulling off a W, I think will help. Still don't know how many people will listen. There, apart from like the Australian baseball community. And that community is pretty tight-knit and is pretty big. Uh, but... In, in terms of like the larger sporting fans in Australia, it's it's still gonna it's still gonna be pretty small. Does Tim Cahill know this is going on? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Okay. I, I wouldn't Simmons. have thought so. 
<laughs> ben Simmons doesn't know what's going on anyway. Doesn't know what anything doesn't no. know whatever anything's going on. Okay, here's my here's my my last question for you about Australia. During the World Cup, you told us about some of the players that you had personal connections to. Yes. Um, on this team, who are the players that you are most familiar with, either personally or from ABL? From like, who are the players that you feel like people should know going into this quarterfinal? I mean, if you look at the stats, I mean. Robbie Glendening, who's with the Royals, he's he's been tremendous. Alex Hall, who's also in the minors, he's been really good. You know, we know a guy like Aaron Whitefield, who I believe made it to the majors. Tim Kennelly, now learning that he's like basically the ABL GOAT is cool. He's been playing there for fucking ever and has all the records. But who are some of those guys that that you have any sort of personal connection to, if there are any? Yeah, Kennelly's obviously a big Kennelly. name as well as Logan Wade. They're probably the two mm-hmm. that a lot of uh abl fans would know mm-hmm. uh daryl george is my guy uh i think I, I brought him up on a previous episode he played for the melbourne aces when i worked for the aces so i i knew him i i've watched a lot of him over the years but he he's probably the the, <laughs> the biggest difference between this team and the socceroos as well although the socceroos this year didn't have many brand names either there aren't a whole lot of, of big names on this list. It, it, a casual baseball fan back in Australia, unless you watch a lot of ABL, and again, there's not a whole lot of those people either. You're probably not going to go. You're not probably not going to know a lot of these names, and that sort of takes away from the intrigue and takes away from someone's uh, you know interest in, in wanting to watch some of these games. But there are guys who are stalwarts of, of Australian baseball who've been playing ABL for a long time. The people should know, like like Canelli and like Wade and um, those. those yeah, sort I mean, Daryl George is a good one, and Wade had the, the go ahead double uh, before they kind of pulled away even later uh, against Czech Republic. So yeah, man. I mean, again, we we definitely undersold them coming into the tournament at least at least a little bit. Uh, it was it was probably not fair to group them with uh, with the likes of China and even the Czech Republic. But um, this is going to be interesting. I mean, Cuba, the pitching that they'll see from Cuba is going to be, I, I obviously they face Japan, but uh, not going to be easy. <laughs> but I think they, they have a shot. They definitely have a shot. True. And uh, the, the good thing is it seems like our, our offense has actually been pretty decent yeah. through these first. Uh, yeah, I'm not worried in, about in, the lineup. Cool play. But. That, that sort of surprised me a little bit. I thought it was going to be a little bit tougher for us to score runs. Uh, there was like a few winnings in the middle of that game last night where we struggled to even have a hit. Yeah. But after after the seventh inning, we scored seven runs in the last three innings. So right. we can definitely pile it on when when we need to. So that's that sort of gives me a little bit of confidence. And we saw them obviously in the in the opener against Korea. So they're they're more than capable. Um, and and also now you have well, you have a couple days of rest. Obviously, you know, but then you have. You can throw all of your best guys in this one game, right? That yeah, and, be- and hopefully keep guys in a little bit longer. That's what we saw last night right. when mm-hmm. Dave Nielsen pulled Jack O'Loughlin after he'd faced every faced the lineup once, and right. he was dominating. I think he only gave up one hit, yeah, maybe. Yep, one hit. Mm-hmm. And um, and then Newenborn came in and looked a bit rusty early, and I think everyone was sort of a bit nervous about why Nielsen would. Would have made that choice so early, so quickly, because then it looked like we weren't going to be able to dominate the, I as mean, well. The, t- the talk you're saying, the talk radio would have been going nuts, right? Oh, Everyone's mate. calling in. Those one or two callers who call into eleven sixteen <laughs> SEN complaining about Dave Nilsson's managerial skills, it would have been crazy. Exactly. 
Exactly. But I can do we that are for the thrilled, whole country. thrilled for the Aussies. And obviously, as much as we want to see Yoannis again, and it's win-win for us, right? I mean, if Cuba advances, we get to see Cuba Miami. If Australia advances, that is amazing. And so, yeah. yeah. Sounds like a lose-lose to me, Jordan. Uh, let's move on to Pool C, where we've already ranted at length about USA Baseball. So we will not touch on that anymore. The other main game I think that stuck in my head from this was the awful Great Britain-Canada World War I-style trench warfare slogfest. Not a slugfest, a slogfest. It was somewhere in between. As, Canada uh, winning 18-8 to eight in the yeah. worst good-bad baseball game I've ever watched all of. Yeah. It was yeah. the first game of the tournament that was a reminder that maybe not all these teams have enough pitching and that there is a big talent gap. Yeah, I will say it definitely concerns me about the Canadian pitching even more than it already was, but lineup looked great. Obviously, Great Britain even holding Team USA to six is amazing in retrospect. Um, but forget about that game. Colombia-Mexico was freaking oh, yeah. sweet. That game going to extras, Colombia, sure, maybe the last strike recall was a little generous, but watching Guillermo Zuniga, t- you know, pumping in 102 there at the end when no one had ever heard of him was really impressive. And yeah, I mean, Colombia, Colombia's fu- like that. That's a team like with guys like Alfaro and, you know, some of these, some of these names where you can, again, you talk about guys that really fucking care. Oh man, like these, all these, all these kids, sure, they're, they're undermanned. They're not quite as star studded. But it's really cool watching these pitchers that you haven't necessarily ever heard of, you know, come off a mound after after a scoreless inning. Um, I mean, I had never heard of the three pitchers or, that came in after Nabil Chrismat, <laughs> and they, you know, they kept the game close, and and that was that was really really cool. Um, and and for Mexico, it was. Oh, this is the other thing we have to mention about Mexico because we kind of glossed over them. The fact that they, why, how they actually came with us, Randy Rosarena is amazing. This dude is an absolute beast. I, I like, duh, we watched him literally dominate the postseason. But he is just so, talk about playing loose and talk about playing with just, like, I'm the shit. I mean, that is the kind of edge that he is He is so much fun to watch. Um, and for those of you who, who aren't familiar, the reason he's playing for Mexico is he, you know, when he defected from Cuba, he, you know, not just established residency in Mexico, but basically started a family there and was was living there and was playing there and still lives there, I believe, in the off season. And he just has a lot of very, very, very passionate connections to Mexico. He talked about it a lot during the 2020 postseason that was being played in San Diego. Like he just cares a lot about Mexico as as his kind of adopted home country. So it's really cool. And I think there was a story about him like reaching out to the government to make sure that he could get citizenship so that he yep. could play for Mexico in the WBC in an international competition. Um my shouts out to my man, Edward Julian on Canada, Jordan, who first pitch, you know, first pitch of the WBC, ding dong, Alakazam. Uh, there is space on the hype train if people would like to join me. Anything else from Pulsey? I mean, the way it's shaping up, right? Like if America runs the table, let's say they beat Colombia and Canada, which is no given, but I think it is the most likely outcome. That Mexico-Canada game feels like it'll be the decider. Also, I guess the Colombia-Canada game, too. Yeah, no, but this is the beauty of these. Like it, when you add these, the, the 15 of these pools, like it's just every game is going to impact the other. Um, and so that's what's been so fun about this past week. Uh, today, we've got Colombia, Great Britain and, and Canada, US. So Mexico's off today. But yeah, it's it's um, I mean, US is now <laughs> either at risk of not making it or, or being a runner up, which also has ramifications for the later rounds. 
Great Britain, not very good, but very fun to watch. Love their drinking tea celebration. Have you seen this? The dip, they dip, they get a hit, a double, they dip the tea bag and then they sip the tea, which is which is Perfect. really great. The nighting it's even f- about after the homers with the crown. Yeah. yeah. It's even funnier when you consider that like a lot of these guys like I were not born or raised or spent that much time there too. And I know that's the case with some of these other countries, but like all the Bahamian guys sipping tea is just a very yeah. funny look. Hilarious. I, but that's the thing. Like, it's cool to see all these countries lean into their their stuff no matter where they're from. It's like, well, I'm here. We're in the jersey. Might as well. Lean um, into the bit. Right. Like, uh, you have la- the. Here, here's a funny thing. So I was watching the uh, Mexico-US game last night with my girlfriend, and they cut to the dugout, and there's a guy. I can't remember what player it was, but a couple guys wearing the sombreros. And my girlfriend's knee-jerk reaction was like, whoa, whoa, that's offensive. I'm like, well, actually, no, because it's the Mexican team. <laughs> like, it'd be offensive if it's like a frat party at a college campus with a bunch of white kids. But uh, the Mexican the national baseball team feels uh, okay. There were a lot of sombreros, sombreros in Chase Field last night. <laughs> Correct. And everyone was doing just fine. Yes, I agree. Uh, last thing on this. I know. I think you had thoughts on this. Uh, everyone was making fun of the Great Britain jerseys. They um, rule. <laughs> they rule. Why do they rule? The Great Britain jerseys absolutely slap. They are simplicity personified. If if they had branded these as throwbacks, people would be all over them. Okay? That is how pea-brained our society is when it comes to uniform detailing. Oh yeah, this is this is way too simple. This is lazy. Oh, it's a throwback. Love the simplicity. Absolute I, class. I have shared this before. I don't have strong opinions about uniforms almost ever to the point where it feels like a coin flip when there's a jersey we haven't seen and I log on Twitter and I'm like, is everyone going to love this or is everyone going to hate this? And it's just like it. <laughs> someone decides and then that's what it is. Everyone, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Also, it's like, first of all, it's not that different from a lot of the jerseys they wear in other international competition. Also, Team USA... It's not like their jerseys anything special. All these other ones are way, way, way more interesting and way more fun. So, oh, I was gonna say the USA jerseys with the. I know the S is supposed to be like a stripe, but it just looks like bacon. It's like you know, <laughs> it looks and the like hat a flag, but right, it looks like the Iron Pig's hat, right? So exactly, like and the hat is like really messy. Yeah. The USA swag is 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 pretty. It's mid. been outdated again. Yeah, Another it's outdated. But them. I loved the Great Britain jerseys. I loved. Yeah how small the font was. Mm-hmm. I loved how little color there was on the uniform. I think it's a true zag. And I think mm-hmm. that's all I care about with uniforms. And we have, you know, nowadays we have all the, the City Connect uniforms or whatever. It's all about how flashy and grand can we make these, how bold, how bright. Great Britain said, hold my tea because we're going <laughs> to go the other direction. But the City Connect is a perfect example because – Sometimes they're like way out there and really like the like some of the Marlins ones and some of the it's like everyone's like, oh, that's the coolest thing ever. But then other times you, it's like really intense and everyone's like, this is the worst thing ever. Or then you have the opposite where it's like the Giants and the Dodgers where it's like you didn't change anything. What am I looking at? Um, I guess the Giants one's a little, a little weird. But like the Dodgers one, it's like, what, what is what is happening here? Um, so, yeah. Can you do me a favor, Jordan? Can you just yeah. – you have a computer in front of you, by the way? I do, yeah. That's how we record the pod. Yep. Oh, true, true, true. Could you Google? You've heard of Google? Uh, Google Boston Red Sox gray uniform for me. Okay. I had this exact thought. Uh, and tell me what is the difference between that Red Sox uniform and the Great Britain uniform besides the size of the font and the fact that it's Nike? I guess the other ones are Nike too. 
Exactly. Thank you, Jake. Say no more. Um, you're 100,000% correct. All right, let's move on from Pool C. Let's get to the fun stuff in Pool D. This was the one we were all looking forward to. And thus far, it has not disappointed. Venezuela versus Dominican Republic to open things up was incredible. Now, out the gate, boom, J-Rod, 113 mile an hour single. Boom, Juan Soto, 106 mile an hour double. one nothing DR. Lone Depot Park is bumping. And it's like, holy shit, Like, how are they going to stop this Dominican lineup? And then Martin Perez and Luis Garcia were like, actually, it's fine. We're, we're also two of the best pitchers in the league, so we're going to just do that. And the Dominican lineup has no chance, and that is what happened. They did not score again after that. They only had four hits the rest of the way. Luis Garcia was marvelous. The three relievers named Jose, that is Ruiz, Quijada, and Alvarado, were also great. And Venezuela took the opener and command of this pool, which they continue to emphasize as they smack Puerto Rico around. Uh, putting up a bunch of runs. Salvi Perez, a monster game for Venezuela against Puerto Rico. And but we'll save Team Israel here for a second. But for you're, I mean, you're, you're feeling good because you were all in on Venezuela as, as a potential uh, championship team, if not a deep run. And they look great. They look great. They, I, the people would be calling this like a giant upset. I would say that was a little bit of a stretch. Um, but no, it was huge. It was absolutely huge. The gap. Uh, or let me let me phrase it differently. The value of a frontline monster starting pitcher like Sandy Alcantara is mitigated by the realities of the pitch count situation in this tournament. And I understand that about 30 minutes ago, I went on a rant about U.S.'s lack of starting pitching and how it's good that the DR has Sandy. And it is good that the DR has Sandy. But like Sandy Alcantara is amazing because when he's at 85 pitches, 95 pitches, he's better than anyone else in the world except for like Garrett Cole, maybe Justin Verlander, maybe, right? But he can't get to 95 pitches. And so over a 65-pitch sample, he and Martin Perez are not really that different. And I know that's weird to say because they look different, but they're really not. And it's not that they're really not. It's that then they also – have someone who can be just as good for 65 pitches in the middle of the game. And Luis Garcia has proven to be as good, good at that as basically anybody in the league. Um, the fact that they have so many of those guys now and they can do another tandem game if they want. Um, I guess in the game against Puerto Rico, they didn't really have to because uh, they were up by so much early and that you know the bullpen started to, to lose it late. But they have so many starters, whereas the Dominican team just doesn't. They have to start rolling out all of their hard-throwing relievers one inning at a time. And that does put the DR at – I mean, they're still amazing pitchers. It's not an excuse for them. But it it does give Venezuela this very interesting edge that they have obviously used uh, in the early going. And, and Pablo Lopez was was just amazing um, against Puerto Rico. So, And Anthony Santander, the big story here, with a home run in each of the first two games. I talked – the reason that I liked Venezuela heading into this was high-contact guys, Jimenez, all right. Wow, I almost confused like Arauz and Arise. Uh, Arise, Jimenez. Oh, you were watching Panama. Busted. Damn. Exposed. All these like high contact hitters, right? And that's not really what's happened. It's been Anthony Santander and Salvi hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, Nice to see Acuna have a little bit of a better game after his. I mean, Acuna probably had the worst offensive game of his life in the opener against the DR. Two double plays grounded into, which he's never done in his big league career, and a strikeout and a shattered bat ground out. Like, he was completely out of sorts, and it didn't matter. They won easily. 
the rivalry between the DR and Venezuela is so big because you have to remember, like, for four years in between WBC cycles and for six years for this one, the Venezuelans and the Dominicans in, in clubhouses are just, like, talking shit about this all the time. Like, all the time. These guys care so much about this and are arguing and bantering about literally this game for years. Years. And that's why the stakes were so high and the crowd was so big. Because these are, behind the U.S., right, the two biggest generators of MLB talent by a pretty wide margin. And so they view themselves as, they both view themselves genuinely as the best baseballing nation in the world. They believe that. And so when they face off against one another, there is real tension. We talked about how Venezuela has relatively underwhelmed in the past. Let's remember specifically what happened in 2017 when once they got to the second pool, because it was multiple levels of pool play last time, they went 0-3 and got crushed. They got shut out. They they lost to the U.S. 4-2. They got shut out by DR 3-0, and they got crushed by Puerto Rico 13-2. So those are the last three games that they played, and that was uh, in, in San Diego in 2017. Um, and so now to come back and to start 2-0 and look like the best team in the tournament besides Japan is really impressive and really cool. And and yeah, like this this team is also ridiculously loaded. So they they are performing to their capability, and that is very, very, very cool to see. So they're in great position. Obviously, we will see if they can can you know run the table here and, and finish the the pool undefeated. They're certainly in excellent position to do so, considering they have already dispatched the Dominican and Puerto Rico rather easily. Uh, but we we will see because Nicaragua and Israel might have something to say about that. Let's talk about Nicaragua quickly, quickly, because they are now not going to be especially relevant moving forward, most likely, unless they're playing mega spoiler. Uh, Nicaragua has some fight. They have some fight. They honestly played better early on than I maybe expected, um, especially on offense. And even the pitching was was somewhat competent. But when they came down to it, when they actually got to use their one legitimately awesome major leaguer, Jonathan Loizaga, it went to shit. And Team Israel came back and stole the opener against them. And now Nicaragua is 0-2 and John Lasagna is very tired. And uh, thanks for coming out, Nicaragua. Um, but still, Team Israel now undefeated. One of the few undefeated teams left in this tournament. Sure, it's 1-0. But uh, we're having a good time. This has been pretty cool to watch. Garrett Stubbs, friend of the show, with the swing of his life. Is that dramatic? Maybe. Um, but it was awesome, man. It was really fun to watch. I have never felt worse about... Uh, this maybe, eh, I don't know about that. I, I feel pretty bad about the state of Israel right now, considering the, the current judicial reforms that are being passed uh, over there, Jordan. But I, I've never felt better about Team Israel. Okay. And I am <laughs> able to separate those things. Bingo, baby. I am able to hold multiple thoughts in my mind at the same time because I That's am, a, am a person being, I'm a human being. And I, I really had forgotten how amped up watching a bunch of American Jewish guys and Shlomo Lippitz play baseball in an MLB stadium makes me feel. I really had forgotten about it. And it really got to me. I was amped. I was invested. Like I was watching this on my computer with some friends at a Jewish deli 
at, at a Jewish diner right in New York. Like I leaned in and I felt the experience and it got to me. And I, it was awesome. It was yeah. awesome. Putting up three runs in the bottom of the eighth inning to storm back. Just great stuff for the Also, gym. like these games, we talk about, you know, the talent gap and the difference. Like the games between, this was true for the Czech Republic China game. And I know these teams are are better and have way more big leaguers than Czech Republic China, but the, the teams that are not necessarily the powerhouses playing against each other. And when you have those really close games between those two teams and you understand that for each of those teams, every win is so precious because it's not about necessarily trying to think about how we're going to advance. It's about winning a game in the WBC. And so well, to and then feel you don't that have to was, qualify. Yeah. That's a huge yeah. part of this, right? The qualification yes. Yes. process sucks. And means you might not get out. So if you finish last in your pool, you have to requalify. Mm-hmm. And Israel, by beating Nicaragua, almost guarantees that they will not have to do that again, right? Mm-hmm. You would imagine Nicaragua is not going to beat Venezuela or the DR, right. right? And so no, so that's that's why it's it is in some ways kind of a, a cruel way to do it, but also a great way to do it to ensure that every single game is extremely important, even right. in pool play. And so, so yeah, that's, that is why, like, of course the DR in Venezuela where there's constantly all-stars coming to the plate and coming to the mound, like that's, that is very fun too, but this is where you just see the stakes and, and how nervous everybody is and the kind of mistakes that you see both teams making. Like it's almost, it's, it's almost more reminiscent of a college game where you're, you know, you're playing for, you know, the ability to keep playing and the ability to like continue on is is so cool. So there were a lot of amazing moments in that game. But yeah, I mean, the Stubbs go-ahead double was was tremendous. Oh, it was so good. And it was great. Like, friend of the show, like, elite dude, just good guy. Sharing his bar mitzvah pictures. I mean, it's just, it's everything. He's playing third base, which according to B-Ref, he's never played in his professional or college career. I think he played it in the exhibition the other day, but they're like, oh, yeah, I guess we got to get Garrett Stubbs' bat in the lineup and LaVarnway. Well, Exactly. We got to get our other our other podcast guest, Ryan LaVarnway. We got to have him behind the dish. So just amazing. Um, and, and yeah, there's I there's I a, am, we're only getting started here. I mean, this is this is if they can because this is the thing. I mean, we knew that this opener against Nicaragua was going to be the most important game. But now now it's 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 more fun now to like we build up to something, you know, we build up to these these last games. Um, their last game is going to be against Venezuela. But uh, today uh, against Puerto Rico will Must be win. something. Must will win, baby. For Must. both. P- Puerto Rico also is going to need that game every bit as, as much. So, like, we're going to see, like, Edwin Diaz is in all likelihood going to pitch in this game. Right? Yes. Um, and that uh, <laughs> in and of itself is going to be worth, yeah, I guess Alexis pitched last night against Venezuela, but Edwin Diaz still has not pitched. Edwin Diaz coming in. Like, hey, but like, again, you just came back against a Jonathan Luiz guy. I know he's not as good as Edwin Diaz, but like, he is some of the best shit in the world, and it, they, they they did it. Absolutely. I Two quick other team Israel things. Number one, Jock Peterson playing center field for them, whereas for the Giants, he's DHing is just so great. And like, um, like we couldn't get Pilar out here, really? Yeah. Like, Kevin Pilar, man, come on, dude. You, Really? I know you're trying to make the Braves roster for some reason, but come on. I didn't Get on out here. on the Braves. That was news to me. Thank yeah. you for letting me know. And then the other thing is, I love Alex Dickerson is not even Jewish. He's only here because he, his wife is Jewish. Um, <laughs> because you're eligible for Israeli citizenship if you marry a Jewish person. And so they asked Dickerson about his bar mitzvah. He was like, nah, man, like I'm not even Jewish. I'm just like here for the vibes. <laughs> so you reached base three times yesterday. I mean, he's showing out. 
for the homeland. Sounds um, Jewish to me, baby. <laughs> that's fine. We we love it. We love it. Uh, all right, that's Team Israel. That's Pool D. Plenty more to come um, today. We have uh, again, like every every day this week. There's just more exciting games. We got uh, DR Nicaragua. We got Colombia, Great Britain, Israel, Puerto Rico, and Canada, United States. 10 p.m. Absolutely massive game. Lance Lynn starting for the U.S. against I want to say 19 year old left hander Mitch Bratt, who is in the the Rangers organization. Um, that will be very fun. So I like Canada, Lance. US. See, this is the thing, right? Like on one hand, you're like, I like Lance Lynn's chances there. Yes. But you know whose chances I would like more? Dylan Cease or Spencer Strider or Max Scherzer. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah, uh, no, any other major true. takeaways quickly? I, I just the whole tournament is just so great. And people who are grumpy about it and saying the timing is wrong. And, you know, Smoltz did a little bit of this in the broadcast last night. You can find a reason not to like it if you want to find a reason not to like it. You know, if you want to critique the timing of it in the year or how guys aren't ramped up or the issues with the pitching or the, you know, the condensed nature of it, that's fine. There's no good time to do it. It's never going to be like the World Cup. Just but watch the damn thing and enjoy it for what it is. And for all the whining I did about the U.S. and how they handle it. I actually think it's better for the tournament that the U.S. doesn't just dominate this like Olympic basketball, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, we are watching and it matters and there's tension and every team thinks that they can win. And I think that's a good thing. And I think that if if you want to find a reason not to like it, you can, but there's no reason to do that. I love that the pitch clock uh, is happening this year in MLB because one last taste of life without it is really stark uh, and dreary. And I miss it very dearly. Last can thing I th- say, can I yeah. say, I definitely miss it in these games at Chase Field where the crowd sucks. Um, That's what I'm saying. But I like, and people talk about, oh, well, should we have it in the postseason? Should we do this? When, when there's so much else happening, when you watch a game in Tai Chung, when you watch a game in Miami and there's so much noise and there's so much energy and, and the time between pitches is an opportunity to bring the energy, to keep the energy going, to bring the energy back up, to build, to build something towards the next pitch, which is obviously never, almost never the case during the major league regular season, which is why we need a pitch clock for sure, right? However, in the, these rare, unique, cool opportunities where that is very much present, I don't mind. They're not being a pitch clock. So that's where I'm at. Uh, um, let's take a quick break, Jordan, and we will come back after that. And talk about this newfangled thing called Major League Baseball. It's like the WBC, but for club teams. And we're back here on Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. I am the first of those two names. He is the second. Let's talk about some of the things going around Major League Baseball right now, because even though the WBC is taking our attention in a good way, there are some news notes and nibs coming out from spring training. And we are going to start with some bad news. Jordan, let's start with some ailments. Yes. The ailment list. One team that has not really sent almost anybody to the WBC, except I know we just saw Wiseguy Glaber, but relatively, the Yankees have... I think some of the fewest amount of players going to the WBC. I was wondering, oh, people are going to go get hurt. Well, guess what? 
You can get hurt anyway. What? You can get hurt anyway? That's possible? Yes. Well, the Yankees have proven that um, a lot over the last couple of weeks, as we already talked about the Frankie Montas shoulder surgery. But also, now we have Carlos Rodon, sadly, going down with a forearm strain. Lou Trevino, Tommy Canely also injured, and Harrison Bader out for, it sounds like, Four to six weeks with an oblique injury. 46 weeks with 46 an oblique? 46 weeks. Yes, that, what a very specific. Yes, four to six weeks. Um, this is unfortunate. This throws a lot of the opening day Yankees roster questions into a different sort of uh, different sort of tenor because now it's like, remember, it was like, oh my God, who's going to play left? Oh my God, who's going to play short? Now it's like, well, shit, I guess Aaron Judge, right when he was about to start playing left, Anderson Bader goes down. It's like, ah, fuck, now you're going back to center. So unless, I don't know, is Estevan Florial having a good spring? Or are we just going to call up Jason Dominguez? This is a tough blow here. Listen, they're not the only team having injuries, but this is clearly the team that has been hit the most in the early going. And these are really important players. Like Harrison Bader coming off that postseason was primed in a free agent, you know, going into free agency, primed for a possibly massive season where he could be, could play himself into one of the top free agent hitters on the market. And now instead, he's going to miss the start of the season. And he's crucial to this team because they really don't have a lot of center fielders. I don't think Florial has any options left. So he, you know, that's a, a dynamic at play with him. And they clearly don't trust his bat at all. And so the Yankees don't actually have a second center fielder behind Bader and then, I guess, Judge. It's and Judge. So this, it's going to be, sounds like it's going to be Judge. It's going to be so. Judge. And then the corners will be probably uh, Cabrera and Stanton or Cabrera and Hicks. And that opens up a spot at DH for LeMahieu and the Glaber situation. It'll be much simpler there. But I'm. This is a legitimate concern for this offense. I would imagine that like Yankees fans are like, why can't IKF have an oblique strain? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I would say the big takeaway is 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 right. Cabrera is opening a spot for a, a more obvious spot for Cabrera since they seem to not have any intention of using him in the infield anymore. Um, so I, I assume him and right, maybe we see more stand in the outfield, but yeah, like the depth here in the same way that like the pitching depth is also not great. We talk about how, uh, you know, <laughs> Montas going down. Okay. We're going to Luis Hill or, or Mingo Herman. Well, now if Rodon's not ready for the start of the season, now you've got Herman is now the third starter, I guess. And Cortez also was injured, but it seems like he comes back. So it, yeah, it's going to be Cortez, but he also was dealing with some injuries. So who knows? It's Cole, Cortez, Severino, Herman, Clark Schmidt. Clark, that is so a, Clark Schmidt, yeah. And that now, is a now they're one injury five. away from... Correct. Mm. Clark Schmidt has been very impressive this spring, and I think he can be like a legit big league starter. I'm a big fan. The issue is that behind him, there's really not a whole lot. And now, if you lose, uh, you know, Trevino, you already lost Efros, right? That was last year. Um, Canely, who they brought back. Kaylee and Trevino. I mean, Trevino was supposed to be a big part of this, also part of that trade. Now you're looking at a bullpen where it's, okay, great, Clay Holmes, he's awesome. We believe in Jonathan Loisaga. Michael King being back already is is awesome. I hope that's honestly shocking. Um, and then it's Wandy Marinaccio who is good. And then you've got this, you know, Greg Weissert, whose slider is really cool to look at, but I don't know how good he is. Matt Crooks never pitched in the big leagues. Albert Abreu just... <laughs> I'm not never... as worried about the bullpen, to be honest with okay. you. Like... Mm -hmm. We do this thing sometimes with bullpens and even with teams where like behind these four really good players, like they don't have a lot. Yeah. And I do yeah. think that with the Yankees bullpen, that's a case like 
Holmes, Loisaga, Marnaccio, Wandy. Yeah. Like that's a even King. Like that's a good freaking bullpen. That's a yeah. really good bullpen. Now one of those guys will probably really suck, and then some guy we never heard of will be really good. And but that is to me is less of an area of concern than the rotation where one more injury pushes Jake Mintz or Jordan Schusterman into the rotation. Let's move on quickly to the other big injury news in the world of Major League Baseball, and that is Philly's child, Andrew Painter, the 19-year-old top pitching prospect in baseball who had a legitimate shot to make the team out of camp. He has been shut down with what I believe they are classifying as a minor tear of his UCL. Now, Jeff Passan tweeted out this news and then proceeded to blast out a tweet thread about medicine where he explained why you can pitch through a UCL, why you might let a UCL tear rest, why you wouldn't go into surgery automatically. It's basically the size and extent of the tear. The bigger, if you have a complete tear, you're going to get opened up and you're going to get surgery. If you have a partial tear, there's a chance that it heals with rest. Jordan and I fall on the side of if you feel any elbow pain, open it up and stitch that thing up because all you're doing is wasting time where if Painter waits two months and he gets surgery in late May, then you know maybe he's not back till the end of next year and he's not pitching in the big leagues at all in 2024, right? And then you're just kicking that clock back. That's kind of what happened with Hunter Green when he first got signed uh, by the Reds out of high school. That being said, it does seem that this type of situation, it is a pretty minor tear. I have have pitched through a minor tear in my UCL, it hurts. Like, it's just painful. And it does debilitate you to a certain extent, but, right, it is a spectrum of pain. There is there's some pain that you cannot pitch through, and it will sap all your velocity and effectiveness. And then there's some stuff that you pitch through. I, You know, we've talked about how every single pitcher in the major leagues, if you did an MRI, you could find a reason to put them on the IL. Arms are not supposed to do what they do. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a huge bummer, and, and we we hope that this doesn't lead to more, more any surgery in the future. Um, but at the very least, he will clearly not be an option at the start of the season. And and I hope we still do see him in the bigs at some point. I mean, people pointed out that that Nola had um, a, a similarly minor, scary sounding injury, and he's obviously been one of the more durable pitchers in the league ever since. And so, so yeah, it's it's scary. It's not good news, but hopefully, it is not the the obvious uh, news that we were expecting at some point in the next few months. I hope that he can avoid that, and um, and yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. And then also, it does kind of explain where the where Boris was at and why there was taking some time because this is the kind of news and the kind of diagnosis that you really have to be very careful and on the same page about how you are proceeding. And so that, in that sense, uh, I appreciate kind of understanding what what was taking so long and why it was kind of up in the air and, and very nebulous about what what right. they were going to do moving forward. All right, let's talk about some extensions. Corbin Carroll and Kaber Ruiz both signed extensions. Very interesting for a pair of players with so little MLB service time. Carroll came up at the middle of last or like the back half of last year and played like, you know, a handful of MLB games and parlayed that into a $110 million extension. He is one of the top prospects in baseball, generally considered the number two player behind Gunnar Henderson. He is a speedster with sneaky pop who is going to hit for a long, long time. Elite makeup, the type of guy who when he was injured in the minors would just show up at games and watch them for fun. 
Kaber Ruiz, Jordan, that one is a little bit more interesting. Can you walk me through an explanation of that, if you don't mind? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when when you are a part of a big trade, um, the way Ruiz was, of course, one of the centerpieces of the Scherzer and Turner deal, you know that the team already has a lot invested in you and in your development. And so the question, though, is when you look at how he just did in his first full season with the Nationals, which is have a, you know, one and a half, two win season. I don't know how his defense rate on fan graphs. I'm actually curious about that. Um, but you know, he had a 95 OPS plus, right? This is not necessarily this was a this was a guy who was considered a, a special hitter in the minor leagues. And in some senses, he has shown that in that his contact rates and his contact ability from both sides of the plate is really impressive. Sure, he only hit 251, but like he didn't, he really, really, really low striker rate. Right? I think the, the second lowest striker rate of any catcher besides Alejandro Kirk. And the question is like, is there more power here? You know, we talk about how getting any amount of offense from a catcher is so valuable. I think if anything, what this tells me is how much they believe in his defense. And catching is a position that there are so few catching situations across the league where it's like, that's the guy for a long time. That is a very, very short list. And if you have the opportunity to do that and secure that and you believe in the player and you believe in the makeup and you believe in what is not an enormous, you know, commitment. You know, I don't think this is necessarily when you consider what he's accomplished so far. I don't think $50 million guaranteed is like a a ripoff for Ruiz, right? It's one of those ones that's kind of in the middle of you could imagine him blossoming into an all-star and that looking really cheap like Salvador Perez or like, you know, Jose Ramirez, whatever. But it's also realistic when you consider what he has accomplished and the kind of player that he looks like. I'm a big fan of him. I think there is more more, more ceiling here. I don't think he'll ever be, you know, a 130 OPS plus guy the way some of the other best catchers are in the, in the game. But if he can be a good defender and a switch hitter who puts the ball in play that, that pitchers like throwing to, like that is a that is a good foundational piece that I can understand why they wanted to commit to him. Quick, very quick extension draft. We're each going to take four players here, Jordan, of who we think is going to be extended next. Not who we should, not who we think should be extended, who we think will be extended. Uh, I am younger, and so you get the first pick. Oh, God. This is this is so hard. I mean, I... Cassis was one that was being talked about a lot. I don't know if he's willing to do it, but I still think he is a good pick for someone. Again, like Carol, who's already started to show like if you're young and you show you are going to hit in the majors, those are the guys they're targeting. And so I will go with Cassis and say the Red Sox try and get someone a little bit younger to build around along with Devers. I will take Gunnar Henderson because I think the Orioles are more likely to extend him than they are Adley just because Adley is a catcher. Mm-hmm. I think pitchers are also really hard to figure out with this stuff because in some ways it's like, hell yeah, I'll sign an extension. Like any amount of certainty I can get as a pitcher that throws hard as a young player, like is, is crazy. Um, that said, I could see the Rays pursuing something with someone like Taj Bradley. If he makes a major league uh, debut this season, you know, obviously we've seen them do it with Snell. Um, so I could see them trying to, to do something with him. Cause I think he's going to be a good uh, pitcher right away, but I want to move away from the prospects. I'm trying to think of, of who are some other young players like KB Ruiz. Do you have another one? I have tons. Yeah. yeah. So I would say uh, Aaron Nola is a slightly different one. I think he is an extension oh, that's candidate. A very, that's an extremely different one. That's like a totally no, different I, category. No, I understand. But in that yeah. category, it's basically like Adley, Vlad Jr., Bo Bichette, O'Neill Cruz, Bo Jazz Bichette Chisholm, J- 
Chaz Bobuchet might be my next pick, actually. I think okay. him, I know the Astros are trying to get something done with Kyle Tucker. That's another one that definitely stands out. Um, man, yeah, that's a good one. I think also for the Mariners, I know they've obviously done it with Julio. They did it with JP. I think Cal Raleigh would be the one I would, although he's, that's tough. He has Boris and, and catchers are, that's the other interesting thing about the Ruiz one is that him and Luis Garcia both just left Boris and then <laughs> Ruiz immediately signed an extension. So that's interesting. Stephen Kwan is another interesting one. Jazz Chisholm with the Marlins is a weird one because it's like, does he want to be there? Do they want him to be there? Very odd. Here's uh, one. And then, then Here's you one. have like the I've, Anthony I've Volpe, more, but, Curtis ooh. Mead, haven't made the big leagues yet, but want to be in that place forever. Uh, my last one is Nico Horner. Mm. Nico Horner would make a ton of sense <laughs> for the Cubs in terms of someone they clearly are trying to build around. I know a lot of people want them to extend Hap as well. Um, with him so close to free agency. I, I doubt they'll be able to do that, but we'll see. Uh, but Horner makes a ton of sense. So, yeah, extension season, extensions and injuries. That is what spring training is all about. No interest in watching the games. Um, uh, one more uh, move. Uh, just, I mean, Marlins continue to give us weird stuff to talk about. They signed Yuli Gurriel and Jose Iglesias at the same time. Uh, both minor league deals continuing their trend of let's sign as many people that will put the ball in play as possible. This one is strange just because I don't really know where there is room for these guys on this team. It seems like Iglesias might actually have a chance to win the shortstop position. It sounds like they're already starting to double back on, you know, committing to Joey Wendell at shortstop. So Jose Iglesias might have a real chance to win this job despite just signing like three days ago. Um, so that's, that's interesting. Guriel, I mean, I, he is, what a weird player. Still one of the highest contact rates. You know, won a batting title two years ago, but also looked incredibly washed at times last season. And so I don't know how much you're really expecting to get out of him, let alone where the hell you're fitting him into the lineup if you are committed to DHing Solaire and, and playing your all-star Garrett Cooper at first. So that one is very strange, but I mean, it can't hurt. Again, like the Marlins need as many competent hitters as possible. Even if they're going to hit an empty 290, that's probably a good thing. Now, two spring things that are not related to extensions or injuries. Anthony Volpe has been absolutely tearing things up over at Yankees camp. They were hoping that wouldn't be the case because I think they want him to have a little bit more time at AAA. And they wanted, I think they probably wanted Peraza to light it up. That's correct. probably what they could have picked if, if they because was them. Listen, everyone. Listen, listen, Yankees fans, if you're still listening, all five of you. Peraza is so much better defensively than Volpe. Volpe is, I think he's fine over there. Like, I think he's like a average to below average mid league shortstop. Peraza is great defensively. Now, better player over the next 15 years, I'll take Volpe every time. But right now, as if we're talking about shortstop defense, you want Peraza there. Trust me, the guy can pick it. Going to Yankees camp and seeing the two of them take infield next to another, like, it's just a different category. Right. There's a guy making it work at short and there's a guy who is a legitimate defensive whiz at short. And that's Peraza. That being said, Volpe is really asking some questions. This is like another spring training category, really turning some heads this year at camp. Right. He's really making the Yankees make an uncomfortable decision. Go ahead, Jordan. You're laughing very hard. <laughs> that that phrase is so funny because let, let's dig into the phrase turning heads. All right. So okay. if if you are turning heads, that implies that at uh, to start the heads were faced in a different direction, 
which is not true for Anthony Volpe. Everyone's already looking at him. <laughs> he's, he's, I feel like to turn heads, you need to have caught somebody's attention that it was not already on you. A but I great, agree. It is a, a great, great way to look at this is just to go, go to Twitter and search turning heads spring training. Weston Wilson turning heads with the Phillies. You've got. That's a good one. That's a perfect example. Nobody was looking at Weston Wilson. Gavin Stone is turning heads. Mm, that's, uh, that's a little uh, more on the line. I like that one. Andre Lipsius is turning heads. Yeah, perfect. With, perfect. Perfect. With the Tigers. Uh, Ethan Salas, who we'll talk about in a second, a 16-year-old turning some heads. Uh, who else is? Justin Durden with the Astros Ooh, is turning heads. I do heads. like Justin Durden. That's a good one. That's I like Jack Leiter is turning heads at Rangers. That's like it. Griff McGarry is turning heads. Uh, Evan White and Jared Kalanick are turning heads. Everyone. That's a good one. Kalanick. Brandon Williamson is already turning heads at Red Spring Training. There is nothing like turning a head at spring training. Turn that head, baby. Turn ahead. Uh, anyway, Volpe is great. Uh, Jake Mintz, when will Anthony Volpe play his first major league game? May 9th. I am going to say, ooh, man, that's a goal. I think before then. I'll take the under. Because I think IKF is going to be awful. <laughs> yeah. Just really bad. Like, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. And they're going to have to call up another infielder, and it'll be Volpe, oh, and like he'll play second. Fuck. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then one of one of LeMahieu or Glaber will get hurt at some point and that'll open up the spot. But the thing is, remember, like they wanted him to be up and they want him to play when he's up. And with the current infield situation, they need someone to get hurt or be terrible to have that spot open up or otherwise they're just going to roll with Donaldson and IKF and Glaber and LeMahieu forever. So, yeah, they sure are. All right. <laughs> uh, any other uh, spring training things that we want to we want to get to? I guess we should mention again, we're. You know, we're well, doing. I want know. to talk about Ethan Salas, Jordan. Oh, Ethan okay. Salas, okay. Yes. who was the top international signee a couple months ago in the January signing period. 16 year old. I think he got what, 5.2? Was it? I think it was more Maybe than that. It was, it was six, closer to six, I think. Yeah. Million, not just flat $6. 5.8. 5.8 $5. dollars from the San Diego Padres. Ethan Salas, a catcher. He is from Venezuela. Technically correct, although he he is a, born in Florida and spent most of his 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 life, I believe, in Florida. Uh, younger brother of Jose Salas, who's now a Twins prospect. His family has again, obviously Venezuelan roots and and I believe parents, but has grown up in Florida. He did a lot of perfect game events, but we have seen situations like this where guys go back and sign internationally at a young age, or go train down there, and then they sign internationally. And so Alex, that's what Reyes, with Salas. Alex, Alex Reyes, Alex Reyes did good this. One. Yep. Yeah. Um, this kid was born on June first, two thousand six. Whoa. So he was born. He's younger than the World Baseball Classic. Love that. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Uh, Ethan Salas played in a major league spring training game a couple days ago. That's. I mean, that's just. That's, that's just, it. That's just crazy. It's like only, only the Padres, only Preller. I mean, most of these guys, most of the top international signings from, again, two months ago, because now it's in January, are not in America yet. You know, they're not even in the complex. Like they're in the DR. They're like that's Correct. that. Most of the time, these guys are not rushed to major league spring training games. 
Um, now I don't know what this means. I don't know if this means Ethan Salas is going to start in low A. Like, I don't really know what the plan is here, but it is nuts. <laughs> he is different, right? Because he is American. Like, he yeah. is does not need – most international prospects, part of what That's it is true. is – First, yep. they adjust you to yeah. being a professional baseball player at a complex in the Dominican Republic. And then they adjust you at the complex in the U.S., to adjust you to living in America. He does not need to do that. He does not need to have that adjustment period, right? Like he he grew up in the US, obviously speaks totally fluent English and has been here like his whole life. And so that, they don't have to do that same kind of thing. And so I would imagine he starts on the complex in yeah. Arizona. That's true. And gets to, probably gets to low A this year. By, <laughs> which is just, again, he turns, so he turns 17 in June. Uh, if he, you really don't see 17 year olds playing in full season ball, especially catchers, sickly ever, especially catchers, but no, you're right. I mean, that is true. The, you know, he won't, the cultural adjustment will not be nearly as hard. And so who knows, man. Um, but it is, it is just a wild, wild, wild thing to witness. So, uh, but Hey, but Padres, man, I would not count them out to do any sort of crazy thing like that. So there you go. Also, on, on the same level, we're skipping over this. I just want to stuff we can get to, but we should we should wrap it here. Is that Jackson Merrill, who is their top prospect at this stage, the only prospect they have left, um, relatively, uh, I believe has played the most innings in the field of any player in spring training, in major league spring training, right? That's a dude that's 19. Um it's amazing, right? And I know that they have a button. That, that was true even before the WBC guys left, before all the Padres left for 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 the team. So, like, that's the kind of, they like Preller does not care if he thinks you are awesome. You are just going to fly on through and just play. Like he would rather watch Jackson Merrill play shortstop in big league spring training every day than whatever random depth guy they have. So, sorry to Tim Lopes. Who sorry to Tim good. Lopes. Um, uh, let's wrap right. it up, Jordan. Yes, let's let's wrap it up. Um, that's actually good timing. I have to go do a San Diego radio hit in five minutes. So I should go do that. Um, but thank you, uh, Jake Mintz, for doing this this episode of Baseball Rock. As we thank you to Chris Tyler. Oh, man. He's got to be feeling good about the Aussies. We'll obviously be back on Wednesday. We're going three times a week now. We'll be back on Wednesday right after the Australia-Cuba game to recap that as well as uh, we're, we're getting to sort of season preview time. So any final thoughts, Jake? Yeah, Ken Rosenthal just wrote my rant, uh, the pitching <laughs> rant. Oh, great. Well, hopefully, if you're listening to this, you will know that Jake said it first. He scooped is Ken. It, you scooped Rosenthal. If Team USA will be handcuffed by pitching restrictions, is it even worth playing? I think this is basically, uh, is it even worth playing in the WBC? It's still right. worth doing the whole thing. But I think the argument just scrolling through it is like, call Dan Straley. Also, um, well, yeah, and I, that's what I said. Just like have more pitchers on the roster. I don't care who. Like that, that that's the thing. Because when you're talking about the specific pitch restrictions, it's like, okay, but if you're saying that you have to send a guy back out or you have to pull a guy, then just have more pitchers available so that you're not just letting these guys get crushed. That's the other thing about it. It's like, oh, we have to manage. Like, you think the Royals enjoyed watching Brady Singer get absolutely shelled? <laughs> like, come on. That part was, or Daniel Bard have like a 35 pitch inning. Like, I don't think that's what the Rockies intended. All right. No more. I'm going to go read that. Uh, thank you for the, the tip there. Thank you, Christopher, for producing. Thank you to Jake Mintz. And we'll be back on Wednesday with another episode of Baseball Barbacast. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Sirius XM Podcasts.